Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Oh. That sense. The Nazis stage a show at the theater to honor Hitler during his bit visit. Sabinsky, Tura, Bronsky, and the other actors slip into the theater dressed as Nazis and hide until the- Hitler and his entourage arrive and take their seats. As the Nazis are singing the German national anthem, uh, Greenberg suddenly appears and rushes Hitler's box, <laughs> uh, causing enough distraction to exchange the real Nazis for the actors. So that's what he did when he rushed Hitler's box. <laughs> uh, everybody <laughs> rushed... Um, <laughs> The, he planted one right in Hitler's <laughs> box. Uh, they exchanged the real Nazis with the actors. Acting as the head of Hitler's guard, Tura demands to know what Greenberg wants. The actor gives the famous Merchant of Venice speech, ending with, If you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Tura orders Greenberg to be taken away. All the actors march out, get in Hitler's car, and drive away. Back at her apartment, Maria waits for company. Earnhardt, our Earhart unwittingly shows up, tries to seduce Maria. The door opens. Hitler slash Bronski appears, sees them, turns around, walks out without a word. Earhart is completely amazed, but quickly alarmed that uh, he has just been caught trying to seduce the Fuhrer's mistress. Maria dashes after Bronski, calling my Fuhrer, my Fuhrer. This Wikipedia summary doesn't say the craziest fucking thing that happens in this movie, which is that man then commits suicide off camera. Which I... Like, did he, though? Because, like, he screams and then he says, Schultz! Like, did he yeah. botch his own suicide? I think he probably, probably. botched his suicide, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like in, uh, I guess, weirdly, spoilers for Motherless Brooklyn. At one point in Motherless Brooklyn, they try to convince somebody for a second. And this is, like, a minor plot point, it turns out. But, like, that the, that the guy committed suicide. And the way that he apparently committed suicide was first by firing a pistol into his heart. Jesus. Which, like, nobody has ever committed suicide that way, I don't no. think. I don't know if it's... I don't know if you can because you have like the hard breastplate, right? It's like, like a, it's yeah, like it's a t- bulletproof. Well, and also yeah. like you shoot you yourself die. in the fucking head. Like everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but also like it turned out that there was like a whole uh, To Kill a Mockingbird thing, uh, like weirdly exactly To Kill a Mockingbird because it, w- it was a black man who was. It turned out like his blackness was part of the crime perpetuated against hmm. him, and he had a uh, um, non-functioning. Oh, mm, my dad's mm, calling. Mm, mm, uh, mm, mm, mm. Call get him on the pod. <laughs> I don't think he's seen any Lubitsch. But on, he had a non-functional left arm, and he would have Your had dad? to shoot himself oh. with the... That's the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of bummed about... What, what was his name? Uh, the guy who makes a run at Hitler's box? Bloom... Uh, green, green, green not Bloomberg. Greenberg. It's, it's, it, I think it is Greenberg. Is it Greenberg? Because there was that whole thing earlier yeah. where he was like, ah, you know, we're destined to just carry spears. And then they were like, this is going to be a very important role. I thought he was going to stab Hitler with a spear. I was so excited. I thought he was going to do, I mean, like, he did, to be fair, well, make way. Like, yeah, he was yeah, he the distracting. The yeah, he was very, speech. he got yeah. his moment. Um, but he probably, moment. probably died after that, right? But so anyway, oh. it turns out that, like, the ultimate. Getting one over on them was that they got out of Poland, mm-hmm. even though they were wanted this, by stealing Hitler's plane. This doesn't quite answer. Like this still confirms. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't dispute 
that Hitler was left there without personal security in Warsaw, right? Yeah. Like they never loop back around that to that in the movie, but probably Hitler was ambushed by a bunch of angry Poles. It is implied at the end of this movie that yeah, that we have entered alt history and that Hitler was murdered by the Polish resistance. Inglorious bastards. Yeah, like exactly inglorious bastards. Yeah. To the it's in a fucking theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild, man. Uh we don't we'll cut maybe some of this is all over the place. Um Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can follow us at Try Love Podcast on Twitter. You can follow them at Trilon Cinema on Twitter. I am Jason. You can follow me at Nintendoofus on Twitter. I'm Cody. You can follow me at Cody, C-O-D-Y, underscore B-H on Twitter. That's Cody underscore B-H as in butthole. Underscore is not spelled. It's just that weird line. It's not the whole the word U-N-D-E-R-S-C-O-R-E. M-O-U-S-E. And I'm Harry. Jason was just on. He was, yeah. It was like we were in it. It was exciting and surprising and terrifying. What does she say in the movie? Oh, I'm, I'm terrified and excited. Oh, or, no, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, One of the many very great lines that's I'm in... terribly frightened and terribly thrilled. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel every time I talk to Jason. Bye, blue bitch. Okay. Uh, as you might have guessed already, we are talking about the film To Be or Not To Be, 1942, directed by Ernst, directed and produced by Ernst Lubitsch, uh, which we said we were going to come up with the pronunciation of his last name. We're assuming the Lubitsch is it, uh, even though it is kind of funny to listen roll off the tongue. Um, that, uh, this is a hashtag resistance movie uh, following... Don't, oh, God. <laughs> it's so much better than that. Stop it. Uh uh, did we want? Do we have a plot summary together, or do you just, I mean, like, okay, so it is a film about an acting troupe in uh, uh, World War II era Poland, Warsaw, that, Poland, yep, specifically Warsaw, uh, that bands together after um, the bombing of Warsaw to uh, subvert Nazi rule, um, and after a fashion, they a number of them end up uh, impersonating and swindling and uh, scheming out different Nazi officers to gain closer access, though inadvertently directly to Hitler um, during the showing of, is, is it Hamlet that's being, that's playing it? Uh, no, it's um, the a murder in the, the opera, right? Or what is it called? I'm going to look it up. Sorry. If we can, uh, during a, during this. a theatrical performance in Warsaw, mm. um, it has many parallels clearly to Inglorious Bastards. Uh, and in, it's a great, great movie to watch right after seeing Jojo Rabbit because kind of fuck Jojo Rabbit in general. Uh, a point we can get back. I think I'm the only one in the room who's seen that. So. Yeah. But everybody's so earned it. I feel bad that I haven't everybody's seen it because it. I would like to trash it with you. Everybody's earned it. I mean, yeah. It looked look, bad. Look at it around. So I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> uh, none of us had seen a, an Ernst Lubitsch film before this, right? Right. So yeah, this was a, a true Trilon dry run. Yeah, and as always, imminently unqualified to discuss these films, but that's Absolutely. never stopped us before. Especially if we're doing it 30 minutes after the end of the movie, yes. as we are right now. Which also makes this a, a Trilon hot take, which we don't have uh, as good a sort of um, name for yet. We are both hot and dry in the booth. Oh, okay. Uh, Should I have hot takes? <laughs> How did y'all... Dry takes. Oh... <laughs> How did Fresh from feel? the mines. Uh, I've always envisioned the take mines as like dank and damp. They're dank, wet. all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did y'all feel about this movie? I like it a lot. Hell yeah. I yes. do too. This is Cody. Hell yeah. This has been Trial of. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I'm a big fan of this movie because it apparently it's one of Lubitsch's things uh, to be to both balance or not to be to balance or not to balance uh, comedy and um, very like grim drama, uh, just like literally at the turn of a dime on, on turning on a dime. What is the what is the expression? Turn of a hat. There. Walking on a string. I don't know if that's the saying now. There's a whole thing happening here. What is that? There's like a name for something where if you if you think too hard about something, it, it slips between your fingers. Well, like, I think I think your brain is specifically wired so that like isn't there isn't there like actual scientific research that the synapses in your brain will actively put up walls between what you and what you're trying to think of if you actively try to think of it harder? God, I hope so. That would explain <laughs> that a lot. Explain so much about my life. I um, always just assumed I was dumb. If you're just tuning in, this is Trilon After Dark. Uh, yeah, we're at the top this of our rough, game man. now. This is rough, man. I started out so hot, and I don't know where we went off. Uh, we got this is a great movie. Lubitsch, to be or not to be. Uh, you were saying that it balances comedy with drama. Um, very, very that's, well. That's and, and sort we, of Lubitsch's signature, you said? Well, that is what, according to Wikipedia, is described as the Lubitsch touch, where uh, yeah. he was well-renowned. Um, both in European and American film markets for being able to balance those two things, for being able to, uh, at, the, at the drop of a hat, change a, a scene from very comedic, which this movie very much is, to uh, very serious and dark, as this movie tends to get for only you know a few moments at a time. Particularly at the end of the first act, after the um, occupation of Warsaw, and the or the occupation of Poland and bombing of Warsaw, there are some scenes that hit very hard mm-hmm. and are not played mm-hmm. for laughs in the slightest. Um, and they are they're best approached... By recapping what happens, like how the beginning of the movie starts. Right. Like the movie starts with uh, a very like newsreel man voiceover about uh, Hitler just appearing one day on the streets of Warsaw just alone without his security. Uh, we back up to find out that it's actually one of the actors in this troupe, in this Warsaw troupe that's putting on a play about um, Nazi Germany and about the rule of Hitler uh, and sort of uh, disparaging Nazi rule. <clears throat> Excuse it's me, called this is- Gestapo. Oh, yeah, the, the, the play itself is called Diostapo. Um And then immediately after that comes the actual bombing of Warsaw. Everybody hunkers down in the... Um in the in the basement and uh, is is riding out the storm. And when they come back, all the signs that we were introduced to at the beginning of the movie during these long takes uh, featuring a lot of typically Polish names are left in ruins. They're split. The whole town has exploded. Um, and then it just kind of kicks into high gear from there, uh, from this very low, depressing uh, dip into, okay, so we're a few weeks out from the um, from what's happened in Warsaw to... Uh, we're like we're full members of the resistance. The troop is now yeah, fully part of the underground. There's an interesting pacing thing there, right? Where um, the movie actually doesn't follow their transition from theater troop members to resistance because it instead follows um, Maria and her paramour, um, or would be sort of wannabe paramour. Uh, is that Sabinski? Sabinski, yeah, Stanislav Sabinski, who is a um, young Polish uh, bomber. Who ends up joining the fight after the occupation of Poland? Um, what is what is that actor's name? That actor is Robert Stack. Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries. Is he in Unsolved Mysteries? Did you ever see that show? No. Uh, he has. He had like a very um, uh, wry delivery, sort of like. No, I can't believe y'all never saw Unsolved Mysteries. This was in like the eighties and nineties. He he hosted a television show about unsolved mysteries in America. Um, 
And that's where I recognize his face from. I could not place him. He's young and in this. He is like maybe in his late 20s yeah. at yeah. the very oldest. Uh, looking pretty handsome. Very handsome, which is important to his character because he's sort of the would-be seducer of Maria. Yeah. That uh, much g- to her husband's chagrin, which is sort of their A-plot at the beginning until it gets uh, weirdly and appropriately completely upended by the fucking occupation of Poland by mm-hmm. uh, Nazi Germany. You could imagine a movie where they take those seeds from the first act and just sort of like make that the whole story where they're like they're trying to deal with each other's like uh unfaithfulness and sort of like uh, uh trysts in the midst of like wartime tragedy but it, that of course is like sidelined very quickly it's, yeah. it's always there and it's always like this guy got cucked <laughs> throughout the whole movie <laughs> well but that, from his perspective certainly yeah yeah it's it's interesting because these characters both do and don't transform right uh like and very pointedly this this movie creates the turn where um when the announcement comes through that Poland has been invaded and that Warsaw is about to be bombed um Maria is with um Jesus what is his name Joseph Sabinski Sabinski oh, okay um she's with Sabinski in her dressing room he's talking about how he wants to spirit her away to this farm where they can live together and he's going to talk to their her husband and he's doing this really like sexist um, chauvinistic bullshit mm-hmm. uh, to her and that it's interrupted by this announcement mm-hmm. and then he has to go um, to war she becomes a badass underground resistance member the whole theater troupe become resistors uh, rebels um, in occupied Poland part of the V resistance movement um, but they're still they're still who they are yeah. uh, this her husband the ostensible main character um <coughs> Joseph. Joseph, yeah. Um, sorry, we just watched this. Uh, is still an egotist. He's still the ham, right? Like, that's that's the one word um, sort of summation of his personality. This movie does a really funny, interesting thing where they, they don't uh, call out all of the characters as Jewish explicitly, but they do so very obviously with the subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great line where he says, uh, to refer to... Um, uh, Joseph, 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 yeah, Joseph, uh, yeah. As uh, as a ham, one of the other theater troops goes, Joseph, what you are, I wouldn't eat, which how, is amazing. And he says, "How dare you call me a, a ham? ham?" Right, which is uh, perfect. And then the Shylock speech from um, Shakespeare's. Uh, wow, I can't think right now. The name of the play that Shylock is in, um, the Merchant, Merchant of Venice. Venice yeah. Jesus, wow, uh, plays a prominent role for Greenberg, uh, one of the mm-hmm. other theater troupe members. Um, Which has its own like connotations and sim- symbology, right? A famously Jewish character in right. a piece of – yeah, one of the more popular Jewish archetypes. Right. Yeah. Uh, popular and, and um, unfortunate and yeah. uh, controversial, right? I mean sure. that's um, – I think valid claims of anti- anti-Semitism were made against Shakespeare for that portrayal of Shylock. Yeah, not necessarily a positive or uplifting Right, depiction. which is it's it's also interesting then that this movie sort of reappropriates it, that. Yeah, if I can go off a little bit, it, it's interesting that they weaponize that toward the end, mm-hmm. right? Literally, like at the climax, where he where he uses that to distract the entire German personal guard of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had said earlier that this movie is a more effective satire than Jojo Rabbit. Um, I, yeah. I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit. This movie struck me as an effective satire. Um, speak more to that. Like, what do you? What do you uh, think that this movie does that Jojo Rabbit doesn't do? I think that this movie puts a, at the same time, 
as it is a more like mature and uh, direct confrontation of Nazi ideology, it is also smarter and funnier. I think um, Jojo Rabbit has, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, it's in in quick summation. It is basically the story of uh, how people become Nazis from a child's perspective. So it doesn't really engage with the, <clears throat> excuse me, on any meaningful level anyway, with the uh, factors that led people to join uh, Nazi, uh, uh, the Nazi movement. Um, it doesn't engage with uh, the idea of, of, of uh, what meaningful resistance looks like. Um, it kind of allows this child to be a Nazi without really knowing what being a Nazi means, which could be excused as like, that's how you were saying earlier, Harry, about like a commentary on uh, how evil is not inherent, how it's very, very intentionally taught. I um, mean that. And again, can't stress this enough. I have not seen Jojo right, Rabbit. But I mean, you're but, right about right, that. The, the most generous reading of that portrayal is this idea that you make Nazism look absurd in order to portray how put upon it is and how unnatural and performative the idea of Nazism is. And then when you introduce this child to it, uh, you you start to um, examine how um, artificial the subsumation of this person into Nazism must be, where, like, naturally that sort of evil and hatred is is antithetical to childhood development mm -hmm. to a, a person and so like it's it's this great project to bring somebody into that and i think jojo rabbit is attempting to show how fascism could appeal to a boy but yeah. how it is nonetheless unnatural and easily overcome by being a human right yeah it's uh it's it i don't think it ever got to that point for me right jojo rabbit in particular <clears throat> excuse me it didn't ever feel that not to degrade anybody who made the movie, but it didn't feel that smart. It didn't feel like it was really going like it was able to achieve that, even if it was going for that. In contrast, what to be or not to be does is it removes that lens, that theoretical framing of, uh, you know, looking at how people got to this point and more just directly mocking um, and in smart ways critiquing Nazis and, and their ideology. Uh, you had said that it was also a more nuanced and um, realistic portrayal of nazi germany's ideology um i think that's a really good point because there are some scenes in this movie that are like like kind of chilling it's a very funny mm -hmm. movie and it's not like a scary movie or like a uh a particularly like dramatic movie yeah um they do a really good job of portraying the nazi ideology particularly the um horrific sexist dehumanization that that occurs like all of the men in this movie want to sleep with maria mm -hmm. the succession of nazis that she meets with and there's one nazi that tries to like recruit her to be a spy early in the movie that's uh the professor the real professor mm -hmm. who is later in, uh impersonated by her husband um which we're kind of all over the place we can talk about the the plot beats um <laughs> but and and he he has this great speech where he he talks about how like oh the the Nazis aren't aren't so different. They're we're just people too. We just want a happy world. And it's it's a really effective speech because it, it's scary in that someone could think that way, but it's also absurd on the face of it. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't buy it for a second. Doesn't and he... we're supposed to not buy it either. We're supposed to be like, Oh yeah. It, it it does an interesting thing where you're supposed to understand that he maybe really believes that and also understand how 
utterly ridiculous and insane it is to think that way. And I mean, even more so, like how you just said, every every man in this movie is is coming on to Maria. They're trying to like make moves, and the fact that we see it first from Sobinski and then like mirrored in nearly the exact same way from the professor, um, it's like an interesting tackling of uh, like what not necessarily even just power structures, but like. I don't the the role of men in and I think they comment on that directly in the movie at some points how just like we like this sorry this this the last five minutes of this movie we it just has to be the men carrying this out because this is a war yeah like only men are here I I see and it's probably not supported by much else except this one moment but I see a line being drawn between the (laughs) you okay no, um, that's fair. Between the uh, the horrible, uh, in uh, like emotionless um, drive of Nazi ideology and uh, horrible like misogynist sexism, in one moment in particular, it's when the uh, professor first engages with Maria in his office or study or whatever, um, and he he keeps slipping like references to. Uh, like Nazi code words, and and he and I think the way that he ends that whole interaction is like, um, what? He, by it's the a hard end, place by, to get into, but it's much harder to get out of. That uh, that as well. But where he mentions, I'm going to get the exact wording wrong, but he's like, by the end, you'll I'll have you saying Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. By the end of the it's night, it's like very incredibly like creepy sexual moment where mm-hmm. he's really coming onto her pretty hard. She's holding her own. She's like demurring at every opportunity. And he's like, he keeps like, they have pushing, really clever wordplay in that, in those scenes. Right. And that's what I mean is like, it's not, it's not like, it's not treating those two things as separate. It's treating yeah. them to both like also, as feeding off each other. Uh, shout outs to both. I mean, obviously Carolyn Lombard is a very famous actress. She makes mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, dude. She absolutely like, makes she's this movie. So good. Uh, Maria Tura is like one of my favorite screen heroines out mm-hmm. of nowhere in this movie yeah. because like, she does that demurring and and this sort of like like um seductive holding her own with the professor and this is like very early on when you don't even realize that she's a full member of the resistance at this point you think she might just be a courier or something right after that she goes like back to the base and she's like oh yeah i uh i scheduled a dinner with this guy i'm gonna fucking kill him like I'm gonna go to this. I'm gonna go to this dinner, and I'm going to murder this man. And she goes there, and she she has him in this sort of like like flirtatious way write his name down uh, in order to like read his handwriting to get a sense of mm-hmm. his personality, which she uses to flirt with him hardcore about how like she says like Oh, if I knew you drew an S this way, I wouldn't have come here. Uh, very very and assertive. It, it turns out he goes to another room. He she writes him a suicide note on his typewriter, and like it ends with his signature that she just derived from him. So she's gonna kill this dude and make it look like a suicide. It fucking rules. I was yeah. like cheering about it. It uh, is an yeah. airtight plan. And like again, this is our hero, and there's no capitulation. There's no sort of like like these are unambiguously the people we're rooting for mm-hmm. are the Polish resistance in the year 1942 when yeah. this movie was made, uh, and Lubitsch produced this movie which means he put up the money to make it as well mm-hmm. uh and he's a german national like yeah yeah and, and expatriated from germany to get away from the nazis this is a fucking radical movie yeah, yeah. um yeah carol lombard um one of my favorite parts of this movie yeah. and you were just talking uh i'm really glad you mentioned like the double meaning of um that heil hitler thing mm-hmm. like that and that that stays 
all throughout this movie and like we were we were mapping it out earlier talking about like the Lubitsch touch as it's apparently called mm-hmm. but like the the first act act uh, sets us off down like a, a pretty um I was thinking of his girl Friday because I'm uh, a noob and I haven't seen many like great fast talking old movies um you just mentioned one of the best ones so. yeah that's yeah, true um I bought it on Criterion uh shout out to Criterion I'll be getting this movie on Criterion too more than likely hey has that kickback check come through on uh, uh, Criterion on money it, buddy. Criterion on cash Criterion hey. coin yeah we'll uh, Criterion we'll, we'll cabbage in the, in the mentions um <laughs> the mentions god what a in the menchies um uh like a smattering of lines early on especially between the the touras um where uh who are the two main characters right, the two right. Main, yeah carol lombard uh, as marie and jack benny as joseph tura what good casting yeah, amazing incredible casting um i want to see more jack benny things because um, mm-hmm. he's uh delightful <laughs> and a lot of fun but uh and like he you know uh one of the um recurring jokes uh is that um Joseph, Tur- he's giving this um, this the to be uh, to be or not to be monologue, and um, Sabinski uses that time to go and interact with Maria, his wife, which was on Maria's instruction. Right, she said, uh, "Come back if you if you want to meet with me. The only time I'm free is come back during my husband's monologue to be or not to be. Uh, come backstage and you can meet me in the dressing room." Right, and um, after uh, afterwards, uh, you know what happens, Joseph goes backstage and uh marie is comforting him and you know saying oh maybe he had to leave maybe he had a heart attack and and he just goes oh i hope so just like these (laughs) it's so funny these these parallel thoughts and ideas converging into one like great punchline and when the movie takes its turn and it becomes ostensibly like a war movie for 15 20 minutes um sabinski's doing like espionage work and then everybody comes back into the fold together and we're riding that you know two sides of the same coin like th- this horrific you know third reich um shit that we're watching and this like spy spoof uh on the side those ideas play really well with each other um and i don't like is that the lubitsch touch like it's interesting yeah. i i don't I, I agree with you. Um, it was almost this is this is maybe embarrassing for me to admit, but it was almost beyond me a little bit. Um, yeah. I think that that this movie it has a really interesting sensibility for um, pacing, and it, it's sort of like the the sort of track that you follow uh, through the the movie, like where the ball is, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. is nuanced, I think, and semi complicated. Like we follow um, Sabinski for a while; mm-hmm. uh, it bounces to Maria Tura to the point where you think she's sort of the ostensible main character. Yeah, uh, until Joseph like reappears in the film and then uh through uh, a series of truly madcap circumstances he becomes the main character when he impersonates first the professor and then Earhart, uh one of the high-ranking nazi officials and then the professor again to mm-hmm. Earhart, mm-hmm. um and then uh a high-ranking hitler guard um this it goes all over the place um they're, it's extremely easy for them to impersonate Hitler's guards and all of the, the Nazis, which was a, an interesting, and we talked about this a little bit, integral part of the satire of this movie mm-hmm. is that nobody questions anything because they're all terribly afraid of asking the wrong question uh, to the point where they can't even tell jokes about the Fuhrer because they'll uh, they'll get them executed, essentially. Mm-hmm. So instead they just blindly trust uh, positions of authority, people in uniform. Right, yeah. which makes it... Makes it, you think. The per- it's perfect for these actors, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, this movie is all about how these actors end up weaponizing their skill set against right. the Nazis, and it works so well because of the way of how 
pathetic and ridiculous the fascistic uh, Nazi regime is. Yeah. And Maria comments at one point, you know, she's reassuring her husband that, you know, oh, like you're the best man for this job. He's literally the perfect man for this job because there is no person in the world with more bravado than this guy. He's a ham. And like, yeah, you got to <laughs> be a fucking ham to impersonate Nazis, it's, it's dude. A, it's an interesting uh, sort of commentary, right? Because like this this movie is seeming to suggest that there is a way that you can use what you're good at in the as tools of liberation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interesting way w- without having to like necessarily transform yourself in an interesting way like these people they were able to to win the day while remaining the the silly people that they were yeah um largely thanks to maria mm-hmm. uh this movie is is like kind of a great feminist piece in that like she is absolutely the engine of their victory throughout this movie mm-hmm. like uh to the point where like they they establish even in the first act that joseph tura says like oh i can't act when you're mad at me like i need you to be not mad at me and she has to like baby him uh, on the sidelines through this whole thing um, at several critical moments that that allow him to maintain his uh, persona, right? Yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, this is also kind of a story of him coming to win back his wife through his uh, actions as a saboteur um, because she's she's wavering, right? Like in the in the first act of this movie, and sorry, I'm thinking aloud, but like I think that's why Sabinski is in this movie now that I'm thinking about it more. Is to be a To foil? introduce that conflict and yeah. that foil because like he is a, a man of action and a sort of like, like positive force of change and good. He can but, draw three tons of ty- dynamite in two minutes. <laughs> really good early uh, sexual euphemism yep. uh, that works so well. Uh, but he also inhabits or or um, represents the, the machismo that the Nazis themselves represent. Uh, you mentioned that in parallel. This is maybe a very 2019 feminist reading, but like he does parallel the way that, that um, the Nazis wind up treating Maria where they don't have interest in her interiority or what she right. wants, only when, what they represent to her. When he when he feels himself becoming more important to her, he's like, "Oh, you can leave your job at the theater. You can like, you don't have to worry about that anymore." I'll you talk to your really husband. Like, yeah, yeah, you don't you really don't like this, husband. do you? Yeah, you don't like doing the thing that you're known for that I fell in love with you ostensibly for. <laughs> that that is your life's work. You just want to be with me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't. She to the to this movie's credit, I I don't think she's ever taking him seriously. Right? No. Um, she's not. she's interested in his attention. She's interested in like the flirtatiousness, yeah. but not really like interested in spending her life with him. She likes yeah. going up in planes and getting flowers, which is interesting too, because that that sort of subverts my earlier reading that like like this is is sort of a weird coming of age story for her husband. I don't think that's necessarily true, right? Because I don't think he ever really gets it. <laughs> you know, I don't. It's it's interesting. I mean, yeah. there is that moment of acceptance near the end where they it's like just before the climactic scene where they're going to go escort fake Hitler out of the theater. Um, and he says he says to his wife, like, I may never see you again. You know, goodbye, whatever. And then he's like, you want to say goodbye to her, too, pal? And he like lets the guy who's cucking but him. his very last scene where, like, if this movie had played it straight and, and understood that that actually, like, he, he comes to realize that what he is is for and, and what his wife admires him for and, and his his self-actualization is is his selfless ability to um to affect good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the final scene of this movie completely takes a dump on that, right? Where, like, he is being interviewed by by the Scottish about how they'll be rewarded for... He'll be rewarded for this great uh, service he's provided to 
um, the European resistance. And he says, well, I couldn't have done it without my my crew, little as they did, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the last thing that he says, basically, which is funny because, like, there's this story of, like, his egotism uh, is, is sort of, like, weaponized by his wife into making this uh, happen. And he doesn't ever really get it. But I think she does, right? Like, I think she, she definitely does. I think there's an argument to be made that he does too. It's just like that it's broken down until that moment. And then once he's back in the spotlight, he's back on. Like, yeah. He's then actor Joseph, not sure. activist. That's an Joseph. interesting point. I don't know how much that's supported by the movie, but that's mm-hmm. how I read it. it was I really it like, liked their relationship. Um, even though it, it, it was like, he was frustrating to me and, and yeah. annoying, obviously. Right. Because he didn't, uh, he didn't treat Maria as well as she deserved to be treated. No. But the the movie itself is is lampshading that and making fun of him for that. Um, mm-hmm. There's this great scene early on where he talks about, in order to win back her affection for him, he says, oh, I, I went over to the poster maker. I told them to put your name first. And she's like, oh, you didn't have to do that. I don't really <laughs> care about that. And he's like, yeah, that's what the poster maker said, too, so we just left it. And she's like... <laughs> Oh, uh, and, but there, yeah, it's, it's great. And, and she, she has a way of, uh, of sort of mani- not manipulating him necessarily, but, but sort of like, like playing to his insecurities and also his ego in equal measure in yeah. order to affect totally. what she needs from him. Uh, which is also, again, paralleling this, this movie is an interesting, uh, feminist piece, I think, because that's also how she seduces and, um, manipulates the Nazis themselves, yep. the professor and Earhart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess I had wished we got a little bit more of that. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a big ensemble to be served yes. in this movie though. Yeah. And that I think like, it doesn't excuse the fact that she doesn't have more like literal screen time and more like plot affectation, but it does like that. That's the reason, right? Or else yeah. this movie would have been two and a half hours long. Yeah. It was an hour 40. And that was like impressive in itself. Yeah, it, yeah, just for given, sure. Given what we covered, yeah, yeah, we cover a lot of space, yeah. and this this is a, a complex plot, right? I mean, like in in the tradition of madcap comedy, right, where it's like when you when you get from point A to point B, you can't imagine how you got to point exactly. B. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, to the point where, like I said, there were there were parts that I was sort of defeated by, so to speak, where it was like I had a hard time charting some of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like like you had said, Jason, I don't think undermines this movie one bit i think it works for it yeah to me like the whole the madcap the um just the ridiculousness of realizing where you are in the story and how you got here and not really being able to trace it back does feed into the whole overall experience of the movie for me like i can remember plot points and turns and things like uh that that got us from point a to point b to c but that doesn't make the movie more fun i like having some accountability in the plot wasn't really part of it for me. I, I enjoyed what was happening in the moment and remembering how it was contrasting with what had come before, I guess. Yeah. Um, we should talk about the, the satire, I guess. Of yeah. Um, Nazism, because you mentioned I, that as well. Can I read a quote from uh, Lubitsch? Please. Again, this is on Wikipedia. This is not deep research, <laughs> but um, the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, criticized him at the time uh, referred, referring derogatively to his German birth and his comedy about Nazis in Poland. Uh, to which Lubitsch responded in uh, an open letter in the newspaper. <clears throat> what I have satirized in this picture and the, and the Nazis, oh, are the Nazis and their ridiculous ideology. I have also satirized the attitude of actors who always remain actors, regardless of how dangerous the situation might be, which I believe is a true observation. It can be argued that if the tragedy of Poland realistically portrayed as it to be or not to be <clears throat> can be merged with satire. 
I believe it can be, and so did the audience, which I observed during a screening of To Be or Not To Be. Flex but this, is, but oh, yeah. this is a matter of debate, and everyone is entitled to his point of view, but it is certainly a far cry from the Berlin-born director who finds fun in the bombing of Warsaw. Uh, so, like, yeah, at the time, there was fluff. It's about. interesting, right? Because, like, from the long view, you can sort of see, like, this movie, again, came out in 1942. Mm-hmm. He was a he is a German man. It's And, it like, this is a year Less than a year after the Holocaust started, new camps were opening in 1942. And they're um, making concentration camp jokes in this movie. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people are literally dying yeah. about the, the things that he's joking about in this movie, which to me, in retrospect, feels more like you said, a, like a, 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 a radical movie, or like sort of a radical I think, comedy. I of think the time. that what's what redeems this is that I don't think that you can question the politics of this movie one bit. Right, right? exactly. I think that the satire absolutely wins out. Um, I think, I think, like you could. It, to me, it's unquestionable how this dude feels about the Nazis. Yeah. Right. I mean, like this is this is a scene where the final, the sort of capstone comedic sequence is, I guess, spoiler alert. Uh, they steal Hitler's plane stranding him in warsaw because they they blow up the rail line they steal his private plane the way they get rid of pilots is <laughs> they put the actors put on a high ranking um or i think it's the fuhrer himself right like mm-hmm. the the guy the who Fuhrer. one of the one of the theater troupe dresses up as hitler he goes up to the pilots taps them on the shoulder brings them to the back of the plane uh opens up the plane's um like the cargo bay door. Cargo bay door. Well, they're 20,000 feet up and just says jump. And they say hail Hitler and they both jump. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, you can't tell me that that's Very not. Very agreeable fellows. They yeah. Say. And like, again, it's funny and hilarious. And also it's like, it's great because like now there are Nazis plummeting to their death and that rules. And yeah, like yeah. that, the movie is like, fuck yeah. Like, let's go. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. Um, I like, again, I maybe, maybe, uh, I, you know, I was not there in 1942. So exactly. I don't know how I would have felt. Well, in 2019, it feels like this movie really is doing it yeah uh it makes me a little bit worried about the things that i'm saying about jojo rabbit (laughs) because 77 years from now how will people look back on jojo rabbit it's not the same thing because like there aren't uh mass genocides of jewish people today but like just knowing that the subject matter is still very it's an interesting point to bring up uh did you guys feel that when you were watching this movie uh it was interesting that lubich brought up that um, this is a satire of actors who remain actors and the, and the need of people to, um, which, which now that he's said that maybe this is not fair because our tour theory is, is not a great reading, but like this definitely feels like a call to mobilize even your own profession in the service of resistance mm-hmm. and a greater good. Me- meaningful um, resistance. This, yeah. this movie made me feel pretty <clears throat> fucking guilty about who I am and where I am in 2019. I was like, wow, I should really be doing something about yeah, it, this regime. <laughs> that's one thing that theme that kept recurring to me in this movie from about the moment right after Warsaw is bombed. Uh, there's this like long sort of, again, harrowing scene of like uh, Poles emerging from the detritus and just watching the Nazis like stomp all over their town. And it's like, what what are you going to do in that moment? It's like uh, 300 armed troops waltzing through your town square. And literally all you can do is sit there and clutch your hat. That's that's not like you're doing anything wrong it's all you can do it's yeah. like you don't have a and form of there, resistance there's some at that very time. emotional sequences right where like uh earlier on um bronski and greenberg two of the theater troop members were bemoaning the fact that they only ever got bit rolls they say like i wanted to i wanted to do shylock's speech uh all i could ever do was carry a spear uh flash forward to they're watching nazis stomp through the streets and the ruins of their city and he says i hope we can 
uh, hold spears again someday. It fucking like it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Um, and then you know, it, uh, Greenberg's um, character arc in this movie is he ends up using the Shylock speech that he's always wanted to perform mm-hmm. in the service of resisting Hitler. Yeah, there's it's, it's great. There's uh, that nearly perfect marriage throughout and i want to hear you guys' opinion on this because i i don't think that it was at all subtle nearly perfect marriage of the idea of performance again actors and uh and the like different the hierarchy of uh the nazi troops in warsaw because um at several times we see high ranking officers who are just sort of like flexing their authority we see younger officers uh and and like foot soldiers who are just trying to game for like better uh better positioning uh, bargaining rights etc um and that is mirrored earlier in the film with the actual like the troop uh the the very popular famous actors are bemoaning that you know they're not perfect and that they're uh that people are leaving during their sets and the younger and the less experienced actors the maybe not so good ones are bemoaning that they only get like little bit parts. <clears throat> and then it's like, they're selfish, ve- like <clears throat> prima donnas, right? All of yeah. them are, including Maria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's made like direct when the same lines that they were saying in their Gestapo play are repeated by, unbeknownst to him, by a German officer <laughs> later in the movie, like word for word, it's, the it lines turns that, out they, that they were in their play. really reflects life, right? Yeah. Uh, we should also say that, sorry to interrupt, real quick. No, that was um, the end of my thought. Even, even, before, um, even before the invasion of Poland, Gestapo is censored by the Polish yeah. authorities because they're afraid of offending Hitler. Um, and so you see a great – there's a great scene where the Gestapo poster is papered over by Hamlet. Um, and then later on when, when the Nazis march through the streets, they say there was no censor to stop them, mm-hmm. which is like an interesting take on censorship in yeah. an interesting way. It's also interesting that they end up performing Hamlet again at the end of the play, but it's sort of like – a non-censored Hamlet. It's like in the open. It's like this is what we're doing. It's like, in Scotland too. Yeah, this is yeah. This is after <laughs> their their sort of um, transformation. Um, it's interesting talking about this. Really makes the arc sing for me. It, it does, doesn't um, it? In a way that I don't know if it did in the movie because I was having too much fun laughing watching yeah. the movie and focusing on this crazy dense plot. Like it is a very dense. It plot. could soak up a whole cup of coffee. Yeah, there's there's very dense. There's like an cookies. interesting. Um, Maybe not apologia is too strong, but um, this this movie it has a lot of fondness for its actor characters, hmm. despite the fact that it clearly portrays them as prima donna egotists, right? Yeah, and not only at the end but throughout. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I guess it makes me think of like Harry, you were talking about how this like this movie how Lubitsch is like is gesturing at a certain mobilization of like anything that you can bring to uh you know a a situation like this and use that for good at the same time i don't know if this movie would have worked if it weren't like the marriage as you said jason of like systemic uh your systems in wartime and like and and actors and and art yeah because there's um like like so much performance that goes into each and i think there are a lot of um like interesting commonalities you can draw that like i don't know if you could do with necessarily um like uh, like i think this is gesturing at like a good thing and maybe offering viewers at the time i also wasn't alive in 1942 so i don't know what i would think or or what people did think yeah all all of us are under 30 years old (laughs) (laughs) um uh 
yeah, we're barely '90s kids. I don't know. That's Ouch. not. A, a, yeah, hey, uh, it hurts. That's, I don't know. Uh, I've always. Eh, that's a. This is a weird. Uh, I yeah. was eight at the end of the '90s, right? So it's like I was a kind of a 2000s kid, really. Like yeah. my formative years were 2000s, right? People like, who were '90s kids were born in like mid to late yeah. '80s, for sure. Yeah, um, that's a hot take about that whole no, framing. I, uh, only I think, we'll, I think we'll warm up to it as the years go, as uh, is the case with most things. You know, 77 years from now. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> and I immediately lost my train of thought. After. No, I I did that to myself. Uh, um, but do you, I don't know. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, um, I think that you made a really good point, which is that I had said that this is a, is a movie sort of thematically about mobilizing whatever you can do. Mm-hmm. That's not really what the movie's about, right? Because it's not whatever they can do. It's specifically the fact that they're actors, mm-hmm. the fact that they understand the nature of performance and indulge in the nature of performance, and and what they sort of understand um, about egotism and about stoking the egos of uh ridiculous men Mm -hmm. and about the nature of the performance of self selling themselves selling themselves is what wins the day here right like the fact that they understand acting so well is why they're able to um, appeal to the Nazis' narcissism so well right because they themselves are narcissists in an interesting way well uh and and one of the things that I love, remember where you were because I want you to continue yeah. that thought. One of the things that I love is that it doesn't position like the actors as the only like eventually they do end up uh, enacting a plot that basically leaves Hitler to be mauled and killed by a bunch of Polish people. Yeah. But um, they're not like the only people who are resisting. They're not like the heroes of the proletariat. They are like they're doing what they can. And then we see the effects of like the railroad station is bombed near the end uh, throughout like there are little montages of um, uh, Nazi posters being torn down and win- shop windows being destroyed and like copies of Mein Kampf being burned and stuff. Uh, so like it does, it's not so irresponsible as to position like, oh, these actors are the inglorious bastards of this whole scenario. Like they're the only ones who can act enact meaningful change. Uh, they're like, they're doing what they can and people who have Molotov cocktails are doing what they can. Right. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, also I should, I should, uh, <clears throat> Um, I should correct myself, I guess. I didn't want to... There is no false equivalence in this film. Uh, yeah. It's not saying that the actors are like the Nazis right. somehow. No, totally. Right, they're, right. They're very pointedly not like the Nazis. Correct. Um, in, in, in effect, in part because they understand the nature of performance, it gives them the ability to understand how ridiculous the Nazis themselves are, right? Mm-hmm. And how put upon their their machismo and their hate um or not their hate. Their hate is is all too real. But but the, their positioning of themselves as superior, as as human beings, essentially, <laughs> yeah. as, as these sort of like um, the these superior men, these um, Ubermensch. Yeah. Uh, it, how absurd that is, and how easy it is to manipulate mm-hmm. um, and turn against them because of how utterly untrue it is. Um, and there, there's there's a commentary here about how acting gives them the ability to see that and acting gives them the ability to subvert it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really good point, right? Because it's not it's not just about using whatever you have. It's it's about specifically the nature of yeah. um, acting. And I and I think also like to I mean, th- and the movie f- fills that idea out more, I guess, by by raising up the you know the you know you're watching this and you're obviously connecting probably with you know the the acting troupe because they don't like nazis you don't like nazis you shouldn't like nazis <laughs> uh but like the person next to you is the person who's throwing that molotov cocktail in the window and like the person to your left is the one bombing the railway station like it's really important for us to see those things happen 
you know, like in the background or, or off screen. Um, like there's, I don't know, in 1942, I can't imagine what it would be like watching this movie and being like, you know, this is the, I'm associating myself with this band of heroes and like we're the last line of defense mm. versus like there are other people doing things too and they're like what they're doing is like equally at least equally important to what i'm doing Mm -hmm. um and like that lack of loneliness and like that uh enhancing some sort of unity i feel like it's probably really important right it's kind of a like a rallying yeah rallying cry might be like a strong term for this movie because it is very it's very flip with a lot of its comedy and a lot of its commentary but honestly like looking back on it 77 years later I I think that's a like a fair term. Well, for it, it. it was made in it was made in in quickening times, right? So yeah, it, yeah. it should have and probably was and was intended to be not to again speak to authorial intent, but like it was intended to be a firebrand, right? It was mm-hmm. intended to be galvanizing, and we're watching it in quickening times where it should be intended. I'm, I'm to galvanized, be, maybe uh, galvanizing exactly, and and so I think that that um, interpreting it in such an explicit political sense and in in such a um, didactic sense is warranted based on how we're feeling about it in the like current climate um and we should we should shout out though that like we we're making it sound like these actors uh were the inglorious bastards in that they had a plan that they carried out that's like pointedly not the case they stumble into most things that happen they stumble throughout this movie and throughout this movie their motivations are mostly uh survival and uh self-interest in the in the sense of Ego fluffing and also like like um, trying to one up uh, one another are yep. like at least for the, the specifically for Joseph yeah for Joseph like that's the primary and Sabinsky arguably um, right uh, and and those those rivalries uh, comedic rivalries they they're never gone from the film in fact they're sort of the a plot that occur as they're also ne- trying to survive their run-ins with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, those are never erased. His ego is never erased. Uh, and, and sort of Maria's um, sort of subtle manipulation of Joseph is never gone. Right, and that subtle manipulation is what actually ties us more closely to the plot of like uh, destabilizing Nazi reg- the Nazi regime in, in Warsaw. Like, she... Is like you said, the heroine of this film. She's the more or less the center of the underground. Um, she brings him into it. Exactly. That's what. I, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is like she's the nucleus of it. She's not like the mastermind. I don't think there is one. But um, she, if there is a mastermind, but, it is her. Right. Right? Uh, right. Because because she puts up Sabinsky after contacting him. Uh, he contacts her with the to be or to not to be, or not to be speech, mm-hmm. um, which we <clears throat> interpret romantically, but it turns out is him telling her that he is coming as an agent of the resistance um, to Poland to uh, assassinate Earhart? Is that his ostensible role? Uh, the or, professor. No, he, 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 wanted, yeah, he wanted to stop the professor stop from... The professor yeah, because, because he has the list of names right. of uh, which, resistance. Which is also really cool because uh, the way he figures that out is um, this professor is playing a double agent for the Germans where he uh, is a Polish person also an interesting thing that he's a Polish native uh, playing um, a double agent for the Germans when this was written by or not written but directed by a German person mm-hmm. um, who expatriated from Germany. Um, so like he's 
probably particularly hateful of this dude. Yeah. Which comes through because the professor is like maybe one of the most unctuous, evil human beings that I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, like very subtly, but it's just like, holy shit, did I hate that dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what was I? Oh, um, he he is saying that he's going to Warsaw. He sort of like is very coy and acts his way into getting the Polish bombers to drag out of him or they think they're dragging out of him he's really giving them the information that he's going to warsaw then he gets them to tell him all of their addresses so that he can ostensibly check on their families when in fact he's he's going to um arrest or execute their families for their um allegiance to and uh assistance in the resistance movement which again horrific right uh like the guy says like one of the bombers has this this heartbreaking line where he's like, "You're going to Warsaw. I would give my soul to go to Warsaw to to Just see for my an hour. mother yeah. if she's still alive." And then he's like, "Well, I'll look in. I'll look in on her, dude." And it's like, "Oh God, that guy fucking sucks." But anyway, um, Subinsky. Sorry for rambling. Subinsky figures out that um, that he's not who he says he is because he's never heard of Maria, who's the most famous woman in right. Poland. Um, and that's what sets this into effect where he, he decides he's going to go to Warsaw himself to try to intercept the professor. He uh, sends a message ahead, a coded message to Maria. Um, that message is sort of uh, intercepted in turn by her husband. Uh, her husband is brought into the plan like uh, begrudgingly by Maria. Mm-hmm. He says he's going to kill the professor because of his ego he's like oh sabinsky was going to do that like i can do that and then you're going to tell me what this was all about there's that really funny line where he where he's like yeah i'll kill this dude and then you'll tell me why i did it um but anyway that all that is to say that that's like you said cody that's how those come together right Mm -hmm. is this this very self-interested uh hilarious sort of madcap romance that occurred before the war becomes about the war by virtue of um circumstance Mm -hmm. um yeah Sorry, that no, was no, a lot no, of that's, thinking that's, loud. That's, that's what I'm thinking, too. Uh, do we have any more thoughts about this movie, or do we want to move into a... Oh, wait. We need Cody's, Cody's Noties. No- Cody's, Cody's Noties. Oh, God. That's me. Nice. <laughs> Hit it. We got that clean. <laughs> um... Yeah, we've uh, we've had some fun uh, mentioning Inglorious Bastards uh, on this episode. Um... Tarantino definitely ripped off this movie in some moderate to huge chunks. Uh, shout out to, I don't know if I've given a shout out to this movie on the podcast before, but it also made me think of how for Hateful Eight, Tarantino definitely ripped off a little movie called Dragon Inn from 1967. Uh, I don't know if it's still on the Criterion channel, um, but it is uh, uh, like the middle half of this movie is a limited setting, uh, great slow burn with lots of different um, warring parties, war- uh, warring factions. It takes place in China in the 1400s. Mm-hmm. Um, it rules. It's some of the most fun I've ever had watching a movie, to be honest. Wow. Uh, it is great. Dragon Inn. Dragon Inn. You gave that a four and a half on... I gave it a four. Right? Uh, the, it's, it, it's this thing where, I don't know, just like <laughs> where movies just lose interest in like completing, like tying off loose ends. Uh, this movie suffers from that too, but mm-hmm. it is... Um, Huge fun. And, oh, um, interesting. This movie, like, to be or not to be? Oh, oh no, sorry, Dragon Inn. Oh, I see. Um, that's, yeah, things fall off as, I don't know. It's It has a bit of Return of the King syndrome. Uh, 
Well, actually, the the opposite. It's uh, ending is uh, or like third act is maybe underdeveloped, or is Return of the King is overdeveloped to the point where it has Deeply. seven or eight endings. Um, I love Return of the King still, but um, anyways, I don't. Sean Bean, be on it's, the podcast. It's the least it's the best. Weakest. Yeah, uh, yeah, correct. Um, anyways, wanted to shout that out. Um, I have. Nothing else about this movie, but I would like to take a few minutes and give a shout out to a little place I went to um, when I was back home uh, for the Thanksgiving holidays. Um, we're recording this the week after Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving or not if you don't celebrate gobble, Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble, y'all. Gobble, happy gobble, gobble. However you gobble. Um, I <laughs> Shut up. I uh, So I'm from uh, Rochester, Minnesota. I went back and... Um, Hung out with my family, did that whole thing, and I got the chance to visit uh, Grey Duck Theater, which um, I should have done more research before jumping into this, but it's been around for maybe roughly a year, maybe a little less than a year. I know there was some uh, like crowdsourcing with the funds of getting this uh, up and running, but it's uh, uh, a theater very much like the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shout out to Trilon. Um, go to Trilon, see a movie. Uh, if you're in the Rochester area, or better yet, in Rochester, um, see a movie there uh i saw the report there the um adam driver uh annette benning movie about um uh government I forgot uh, annette benning's in that <laughs> about the government about uh government stuff um my mind is racing and uh <laughs> i'm trying to put this together as i go great duck. How, how big is it's, that place it's great, uh so it's um similarly sized to the trilon um I, to mo- like current day trilon not micro cinema trilon yeah, like oh, okay. like Trilon right now. Bigger um, than I, I I don't know enough about the the upbringing of Tri- uh excuse me of Grey Duck to know how much you know like the Trilon or Barrier or anybody was involved, but mm. um I think like the inspiration is definitely there. The um interior of the actual because it's also just a one screen place. Uh, the interior is a little bit wider. I think the seating is roughly the same. Um, I'm just kind of eyeballing both places in the dark. Um, I think the amount of seats is about the same, but the room is wider, which allows uh, the screen to be a little bit bigger. And I think there's more space with the rows being wider. There's fewer rows and therefore more space for like leg room uh, and things mm. like that. Um, and it's also a coffee house. So I got a coffee, watched the report, which is two hours of uh, people in uh, you know in Washington D.C. It's about talk. uncovering the the CIA's war crimes. Right, in the exactly. Iraq um, war, I believe. Right. Um. Yeah. The the government's uh co- our government's cover up of yeah like torturing um war criminals or alleged war criminals um in the immediate post nine uh, eleven. Is, is that like the Abu Ghraib? Prison stuff? I can't remember if it's Abu Ghraib um, or if it was a different CIA black site for terrorist suspects, not specifically the Iraq war. I haven't seen the movie. But you're uh, telling me that there's a place I can see Annette Benning do, like, uncover that? Yeah. I Holy don't, shit. So, yeah, I don't... Uh, according to Nick Grossman, shout out to Nick Grossman, it's very good. So The report? Yeah. Yeah, I like he it. He also really liked Ronan, didn't well, he? Well, nobody gets well, it that's okay. <laughs> um... If you don't feel like seeing the report based on Nick Grossman's recommendation of the movie, or mine, to be fair, um, they show... Annette uh, Benning's in it. Annette Benning is in it. What else do you need? I know, I know. I'm just... I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, That's I'm fair. throwing everybody else about... to the choir here. Um, yeah. Hey, Harry, I get it. Okay? Like, trust me. Um, <laughs> you ever but, seen 20th Century Woman? Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie. Uh, it's an amazing movie. Yeah. Um, if it's not obvious, uh, one other place where the Gryduck... Uh, Gry duck. Gry duck. My, uh, my, Gry duck. my brain is mush. Um, uh, it is uh, 2 a.m. No, it's 1030. Uh, I have no excuse. A.m. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm already late for work. Um, 
it's, I'm already at work. <laughs> Ooh, hey. uh, pulling back the curtain. Uh, Grey Duck um, shows more uh, shows contemporary films. Um, from what I can tell, for the most part, compared to Trial on Witch, uh, very uh, consciously does not. Yeah, as I understand, do they do any repertory programming yet? Um, I. I've been meaning to dig more into their account. I looked into it uh, a little bit. They don't just show movies from what I can tell. I think there are kind of like how you could go to um, – sorry, Andy, if this is uh, wrong, by the way, uh, if you're listening. But, um, He's I, just in his car screaming, fuck no. <laughs> no! Um, that's not, also not how he sounds uh, or how Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> sounds, uh, which is the voice I was inevitably doing. Um, but the, I, it seems to me that there are chances to watch other things kind of like how at um, you know area theaters you could – throw on like uh or like go see an opera in a theater or something like is that is gray duck a, a for-profit theater um that is a great question to ask uh the uh the gray duck personnel when you go visit okay. them and we'll support cut, them we'll uh i tweeted out uh a mug uh that i bought there which rules yeah um, i i really want to go they uh, got good merch good <clears> stuff i remember uh former co-worker logan lafferty uh mm-hmm. rest in rest in power yep um he spoke about it as well because he is also a Rochester native, yep. and uh, but I don't think he has been yet. Mm. Uh, and I have been interested in at least trying it for a while. The closest I've been to Rochester was the airport there when my flight from New York got delayed during a really bad thunderstorm. How was that? That was not fun. Yeah, uh, we got to say. like about a forty-five degree angle in the plane in many in, at, at MSP, mm-hmm. and like maybe fifty feet up off the ground, and then just a hard, sharp pull back up into the air. And we went all the way to Rochester, had to refuel. Uh, yeah, it was, wow. it was, I, I took a video of the storm around us cause it was like you were in the movie, uh, day after tomorrow and then I deleted oh, it for space. space. Okay. Yeah. Good. You were going to reference that yeah, too? I'm yeah. Glad it you was did. exactly like that. Uh, yeah. anyway, um, anyways, yeah, I, I've already gray yeah, duck theater, gray duck theater. It's um, cool. Follow it them on cool. social media, visit their website. They can be found at, and I opened up the uh, plot synopsis for to, to be or not to be. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's greatducktheater.com. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, we're huge fans of small theaters yes. here, obviously. Um, it's I, super cool and super special that um, there are not one but two small theaters like that here in uh, the Twin Cities mm-hmm. or in Rochester, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, which is I mean, crazy. And you opened it up to the, to the wider landscape of the park view of the um the 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 heights and yeah. the river view and stuff yeah, there's it's, a great it's nice. cinema scene here yeah um obviously the trilon is cinema always scenes. number one yeah. um uh i want to recommend based on our discussion about the parallels between action and performance watch perfect blue uh yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not at all like this movie but it, it's jason's favorite com- movie <laughs> it's maybe my favorite movie i just bought what? a really dope new poster you like it more it's than such Mad a Max? good poster i don't know if i like it more well, than Mad Max, uh, but we'll I like put it a, a picture of the poster on the the trilobe uh, maybe okay that's <laughs> it's my bedroom i don't know if i'm comfortable with it's that. just the, the wall boudoir, oh, that's, fair. that's fair the right. daphne boudoir <laughs> i was there anything else in cody's noties that we should go no, over any, any, la- any lingering thoughts y'all i already um, exceeded my noties yeah i don't know uh we made this we because of of who we are uh we critique this movie a bit and we we tried to delve into the deeper themes um i would be remiss not to um say that uh don't be intimidated by this movie if you think it sounds like it's at all heady or if you're annoyed by listening to us talk about it as uh you certainly could be that would be very valid (laughs) uh it's very funny um i just want to say that this is a very funny movie um the writing is extremely sharp the acting is uh, very well done. Um, it operates as a very funny, truly very funny satire. Um, it just also so happens to be a movie about how um, these sort of like silly actors are by virtue of the f- of how 
um, specifically ridiculous and um, pathetic the Nazi regime is are able to use their um, ridiculous performative egotism to win out the day. To like, literally it, kill multiple Nazis right. in this movie. Mm-hmm. Including Hitler himself. Including kind Hitler of an himself. inglorious bastard's ending. He's to this not movie. even on screen when he dies. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, fuck Nazis. Yep. Fuck Nazis. Uh, fuck All Nazis. Fuck Donald Trump. Yep. <laughs> I guess I can say we can say that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, like, Trump. We don't represent the the opinions of the Trilon, but um, uh, fuck Donald Trump. And, it, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Our. Uh, Orange Cheeto Man um, Fuck Trump uh, we, It's been a while Fuck you James Woods Sure Yeah um, fuck James Woods Fuck James Woods Yeah Fuck American conservatism And it's entire legacy <laughs> There Let's just keep getting Angrier and angrier About it huh um, Are we done We should We should do a, an outro right All I know is uh, I'm terribly frightened And terribly thrilled nice. Bye <laughs> <laughs>